This is the Hockey News Storytellers Podcast with Ian Paul. Welcome to the Hockey News Storytellers, episode number nine. When you turn on the game, you immediately turn your attention to the end product as the players and the coaches set to battle. But have you ever paused to wonder about all the players off the ice that help power the machine that produces the game? Who are these players and where did they come from? What are their respective stories? Today's cast guest is Dan Craig. Dan Craig, simply put, is the ice king. He has spent a lifetime in the game and has had a great story, a story he will share today. We will learn how a grade 12 student from Jasper, Alberta, rose to prominence in the hockey world by committing to time and patience, continued excellence, and always learning and exploring. Welcome to the cast, Dan. We're really excited to have you today. Thank you for having me on today. This is great. It's awesome. Well, let's get right into it. I actually have a, a quick question for you before we get into it. It's like, how hard can it be to grab a hose, <laughs> walk out onto the rink, and make ice? Like, doesn't it just have to be cold or... Is it a lot more complicated to that? I, I believe it is, but I just had to lead <laughs> off like that. Yeah, you have to ask because yes, if you're going to put it, go to your backyard rink like we most of us Canadians do and grab a hose and then get out there and have the kids have a great time, the family have a great time when the sun is out and the snow is fine. That's great. That's a perfect way to do it. But when you start having players that are worth millions of dollars in their careers on the line. Yeah, it's, it's a lot more technical. Yeah, and I'm really excited to learn about the technicalities of it and some stories today. So um, let's get right into it. Um, we first met around 1997 when you were hired by the NHL. We were on an NHL-NHL Players Association Health and Safety Committee and, you know, with Dave Dryden um, yeah. and uh, great guy, Dave. And uh, we started beating up all the issues of ice and environment and things like that. But, and we, we made some great headway and uh, mm-hmm. I recall fondly like real, real, maybe the first time a great collaborative effort between the PA and the league drilling down on, you know, the environment, um, and good memories. Um, but what, where I really saw you and your element was the 2003 heritage first heritage classic in Edmonton, your home province. Um, what, what are your memories of that two zero zero three, uh, uh, alumni (laughs) game and, uh, NHL game, the first one in Commonwealth stadium. Well, for me, it backs up even further than that because it was a year and a half before that where I had um, a meeting with uh, Kevin Lowe in July, and the question was just posed, "Can do you think we can do an outdoor game, an NHL outdoor game at Como Stadium? And, and you can ask Kevin. There wasn't even a hesitation. I went, of course we can. 
course. And then it, it took a long time to get it from there, but it was one of those things where it was a very busy year, uh, you know, because in 2003, um, we had done the, done the uh, Salt Lake Olympics ahead of that. Right. We did the just before, and then we did the, um, before that, we did the All-Star Game in L.A., you know, so it was a very busy year for, for the group of us. And um, I was very fortunate to be able to have uh, my oldest son work with me on that one. And uh, being in Edmonton, I was able to bring a lot of the guys that worked with me before 1997 over uh, different times to be able to be a big part of that event. So the big one is, is, uh, you know, was we were ready. The ice was ready on the Wednesday. Uh, we it was painted lines were in half an inch, inch of ice over top the logos and lines. Everything was good. And then all of a sudden we had a blizzard. And I remember having pictures and having my son drive the Zamboni and literally you could hardly see him wow. where we're trying to get all the snow off the ice. So, and then it went bitterly cold as you can attest to. Yeah, it was, it was freezing. Like, <laughs> you know, it was incredible. I think they had 60 to 70,000 people in the stands yeah. and, mm-hmm. I, and we were down around the rink boards and it was absolutely freezing. Yeah. Because I remember, because I think it was you and was it Bob Goodnell that was on at that well, time? Steve, Steve, yeah, he was there, but I was there with Steve Larmer. Oh, there was Larmer, and then the and then Coley Campbell and Bill right. Daly and Gary Bettman were all over on one side of the ramp, and you guys were on the other right. side of the ramp. Are we going? We're not going. How are we going? And and literally because and we brought a third Zamboni over. Not very many people realize that we brought bought it a third Zamboni over so we could keep hot water continually on that rink until the players came back out just because that was the only way that we could make it even playable because it, it was so cold. So you had to heat, heat the ice. You had to heat the ice up. And, and which is, I was going to ask you this later on, but we might as well get into it. Like you're at a rink, you're in intermission inside leaf game, oiler game, wherever mm-hmm. you may be, you see the Zamboni coming out literally putting hot water on a cold rink um, mm-hmm. defies logic. But um, anyways, um, how does that work? Well, the, the, the main, the main reason that you're doing the hot water is to remove the oxygen out of the water. So you're, you're trying to create the best density of ice possible. And that's, we have three standards that we, we work with. One is, is density. And then the other is, uh, is the glide factor as you and I have discussed many, many times. Yeah. And then the third one is clarity, which is a lot to do with sponsorship and the rules of our game. But at the same time, you don't take them to the top because if you try to get a crisp, clear sheet all the time, you're not going to get the density and you're not going to get the glide that you require. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I mean, and this is for all the scientists out there in the world who are interested in, um, and we'll talk a little later about air quality you know, ice, water, um, there's lots of opportunity in this great sport for, for them mm-hmm. to um, get involved. So the the Heritage Classic, the players really wanted to play once they were there and mm-hmm. it went out off and it was a great memory of the, the Canadians toques that they wore, mm-hmm. Jose Theodore. Um, great picture for the listeners. If some of our listeners maybe weren't even born back then, Go search Jose Theodore's two playing in the net. That was the beginning. And Dan, you've done an extraordinary job with your team post 
um, the Heritage Classic with all these outdoor games. But so sticking with Alberta, while we were at the Heritage Classic, it must have taken you back to your roots where you started in Jasper, mm -hmm. thinking how far you have come, the game has come, and what a wonderful kind of experience for you. Why don't you take us back to Jasper and tell us how how you got involved in um, ice making and um, um, where it took you? Well, and it's a it's a it's a really it's a crazy story, kind of twisted, but it's not that twisted. It's it's awesome because yeah, the the in Jasper it's a national park, so the the school itself the school district managed the hockey rink oh. well yeah when i was in grade 11 going into grade 12 my dad got transferred to northern alberta and i just said i'm not going i'm staying and i'm going to finish high school here this is where all my friends are and they said okay if that's your decision okay and a position came open at the arena to work and go to school at the same time, the, the principal of the school basically kind of coordinated that whole thing. And a little uh, different piece of that is the manager of the arena ended up renting my dad's house. Uh, okay. <laughs> so um, there, there I am in grade 12. I have the arena manager basically watching over my shoulder, the principal of the school watching over my shoulder, making sure I finish school. And being able to work in the rink at the same time and that, you know, and going that direction. And at that time, there was absolutely no way that you even ventured that this was even going to be close to this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. It was just you know, like it, it was a one stop shop type of thing. And and from there, I ended up going to northern Alberta, to Bonneville, Alberta. Hold on one second before you leave Jasper. I was going to ask, did you end up sleeping in that rink or do you oh, stay? <laughs> oh, I had, I, there was, there was nights that uh, the fellow that worked with me, Paul O'Neill, him and I were in grade 12 together. Yeah. There was nights that we slept at the rink. Yeah. I figured, but, as well. uh, you know, but uh, <laughs> yeah. we had, a, I had my own little apartment about okay. a, four blocks away, but there was nights that, yeah, we slept in the rink. Okay, good. Well, yeah. I, 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 I'm with you. Okay. So <laughs> you end up in Bonneville. Yeah. And the thing is, is that uh, I had been, just been married at the time. Uh, both my boys were born in Jasper and I ended up in Bonneville. And oh, so you were in the Jasper rink for a while? No, just only a year and a half, two years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then ended up up in, in uh, Bonneville. And um, at that time, I ended up there for seven and a half, almost eight years. And went there. There was a brand new building being built from the old arena, a brand new swimming pool, brand new park system being all established. So that's where I thought I was going to be. And that was your uh, calling. You thought you were Bonneville, Alberta, running the yep. rink and, and other recreational uh, yep. facilities and activities. Yep. That's where I thought I was going to be. And I ended up I really thought I was going to go down the chain of uh, or up the chain and be eventually being a recreation director for, for there. And, uh, but there was, apparently there was other plans. So, you know, we just kind of, you know, it's, it's one of those ones where you, you have a new building that you have to open up. I even have a picture of my son. Uh, when we opened up the building, he was five 
and he came and helped me uh, put do face-off spots because okay. I was by myself uh, doing the doing the white paint and lines and logos and the whole works. And he he came with me the one day and he wanted to get himself. I said it's just like coloring. Stay within the lines. You're good. Now, now the, 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 and, and I guess he, he learned there and he followed your footsteps into, into, um, this, this world of making ice and facilities. Um, so before we segue into Edmonton, is there something about like, how was the ice out in Jasper and Bonneville? Like, did the environment of that climate help create great ice out there? And uh, I'm just curious as to what the ice surfaces were like there compared to, you know, other places. Well, if I go back into my archives, I know that I can find letters from different uh, organizations. And we had uh, in Bonneville, we had a lot of the Alberta, uh, senior teams come through. We had yep. international players come through and they would send back letters saying that they have never skated on a sheet of ice like what we had. And, you know, there's many times that I talked to, you know, when my son and I talk about it and, you know, you know, I said, you can talk to your mother and you can, you can ask her how many, how many mornings that I would roll in there at 415, 430. And yet my shift was over at midnight. And because I just knew that, there was a special event happening that coming week and there was more work that needed to get done. And that's what you did. And so that, that the Jasper Bonneville years taught you, you know, you had a passion for what you did and um, you know, wherever anybody is out in the world making ice or doing whatever you were all in, it sounded like. Yeah, and, and the, the fortunate part for me is even in Jasper, we ended up with a couple of guys that were just behind me that were drafted into the NHL. They went and played in the dub and then ended up in the NHL drafted, you know, um, a couple of them. You know, they, they basically were stopping for a cup of coffee through the NHL, but they made it up. And that was the thing is that even in Bonneville, we had a lot of guys that played in the dub, played over in the major, over in the queue, came back home. And it was just talent. I mean, just you just sit there and, you know, at that time I'm, I'm looking at it and absolutely amazed at what these players can do. And it, I thought it was my job to give them the best surface right. that possible to, right. to work with. Right. Good for you. Good on yeah. you to recognize, you know, how you could help the athlete excel by providing them the, the theater to play on um, and the surface. So uh, the stage, I guess we would call yeah. it, but yeah, um, yeah, it is definitely a stage. And so, um, you know, what prompted you to leave Bonneville and, and end up <laughs> in Edmonton? Well, we, in, in, in Bonneville, there was, there was some managerial changes going to be happening in Bonneville for the town, but we had a, I had an awesome uh, town manager, and uh, she basically challenged me f for goals and objectives. And when I submitted that I was going to be staying in Bonneville and this is what I want to do, she, she brought back the piece of paper and she said, no, I want your goals and objectives outside of Bonneville. And so my objective was that I wanted to be in Calgary for the 1988 Olympics. Okay. Well, and, and also on there, I want to be the best in Alberta. Ice That's maker what I want or to be. facility manager. 
Yes, that's what yeah. I want to be. I want right. to be recognized as the best. Right. And, you know, and one of the things that happened was I applied three different times to the Olympic Committee in Calgary and was declined. And out of nowhere came an offer out of Edmonton to Northlands Park wow. to be a building superintendent for Northlands Park, which was in charge of the Northlands Coliseum, as well as other venues that were on the site. And, and, and it was in the middle of the heyday. So it was, it was kind of going like discussing with the family and here was 86, 87 season. Okay. Well, I'll right. show you how good we are. Okay. Let's go. Well, let's see how good, let's see how good this farm boy is. Right. Yeah. And so there must've been pressure on you to go in and deliver the ice for mess and the gang. Um, and help. I mean, I'm sure there was an architect there, um, a chief, but you must have felt a little kind of, um, you know, pressure moving down to show your stuff. Well, it wasn't even so much that it was the we had, there was uh, Henry Stanthorpe was the head ice technician at the time. And yeah. uh, he was uh, um, further on in his career. But there was some young guys that were in there that uh, basically needed to be corralled and channeled and, and challenged. And when you leave um, Bonneville and, you know, at that time it was the Bonneville Pontiacs and, you know, that they were attempting to be um, Western Canadian champions in the in intermediate a league. And I left there and I remember sitting with uh, in Stony playing with one of the players fathers and wanting to know what in the world was wrong with this club. My club, Bonneville Pontiacs, playing against the Stony Plain Eagles, I said, they can't pass, they can't receive a pass. Like, what in the world's going on? And Grant's dad just looked at me, he said, you've been, I had only been there like a month in Edmonton at Northland Spark. He says, you've been watching the Oregon way too much already. <laughs> right. Gotcha. You know, and that was the thing is because the Oilers practices were so high tempo. I mean, it wasn't just, we go out there for casual skate and we just pass the puck around. I, I went, no, no, no. It was full bore. You're going probably 75 to 80% of your speed and go hard and hit the, you know, and you watch these guys just pick the corners, fix the bottom. And you just kind of, that's when it's, you sit there and you got a Paul coffee skating. Right. And he's first one on the ice because all he wants to do is skate on a sheet of glass. To me, that that set my stage right from that bar just went from point A, I mean straight up. Right. And I said, guys, I said, when I walk back in here in the morning, I don't want a mark in the sheet of ice. Not one. I don't care how late you stay, you just make sure that there's not a skate mark in this ice when the guys come out in the morning. So really the players kind of helped you form the standards that have carried with you from back in 87 through to 2021 to yep. help to achieve excellence, um, you know, over the years. All, always, always. Right. And that's the thing is that, you know, and that's one of the things that I always challenge because as you commented before, we did ice reports with the player association and the referees reports. But I also now challenge the arena managers to say, Hey, you know, you guys look at that sheet of ice every day. You drive your machines. You tell me what you think your your ice is rated at today. Right. 
you know, yeah. you know, right. I said, you know, your temperatures, you know what you did overnight. Come on. I said, don't rely totally on the players, you know, because you know, as well as I do, there's emotions involved there. And fortunately for us, yeah, fine. We're a home team, uh, ice, ice technicians, but you know, we, our salary is not related to goals and, and assists here. It's mm -hmm. we're here to make the stage for them. And, and um, before we leave Bonneville behind, if that superintendent um, didn't challenge you, it sounds like what she challenged you on goals and objectives, that's what you do on a daily basis with the 31 ice operators right now um, and your crews. If she wasn't there um, <laughs> to challenge you, you, where do you th what do you think would have happened? I would have stayed in Bonneville and been within the recreation field or gone to and stayed in Northern Alberta and just been, been happy with the recreation, uh, you know, whether it's up you know, in that region, whether it's, you know, North of Edmonton, whether it went up to Fort McMurray or just that, that was the pinnacle at that point, that was, that was the mountain. the climb. Right. And, and I guess to some degree, there are people out there right now like you were who take great pride in remaining in those towns and building the best mm -hmm. ice possible and mm -hmm. have great lives doing it and good on them. Um, mm -hmm. There's other guys that are just, just, and uh, there's other people, you know, men and women making their ice and they're just punching the clock. And if I take anything away from your messages is that you never know what's going to happen and you should always push the envelope um, to work hard like you did at Northlands. Um, yep. Maybe you can talk about that. Like, I mean, there's got to be times where you're working away in these big buildings and you don't think anybody notices or cares or it's just another job. But for you, that wasn't the case. Well, and I think that's a big part is because even, you know, when you take a look at the events that came into uh, Northlands Park, you know, whether it's the World Figure Skating Championships, the Stanley Cups, the, the Briars, everything, all of all of those. And it was an older building. People always think, well, yeah, well, if you had the North, Northlands Park, it was Edmonton Coliseum. Well, it was built in 74. You know, so it was getting up in age by the time we got, you know, when you're talking uh, 88, 89. And, and, you know, and, they, and you're talking the heydays and you're playing um, – you're playing your Stanley Cup finals in May, you know, and it's one of those things where the the team goes on the road. Well, guess what, guys? We, do, we don't kick our feet up on the desk. No, no, no. That's not what we're going to do. We're going to shave down. We're going to bring it up. We're going to build it back up slowly. We're going to get the density back to where it needs to be. And the boys are coming back and it's right. going to be a piece of glass when it comes back. Right. Wow. Yeah. Great. That's a, you know, great mission to be on. And so as you were talking and you mentioned the briar or uh, figure skating, a couple thoughts came to my mind. Do you ever, did you ever, when you were working in Edmonton solely, did you ever worry about like games going on? Could be an overtime playoff game. One of your boys, your hometown boys going in on a breakaway and the ice has a bump in it, puck gets away because of the ice, or a figure skater in the world championships is out there and hits a rut that shouldn't be there. Like, 
Are you guys, is the mindset of the ice maker, the facilities manager to, are you thinking about that stuff when the events are going on? Is there a certain kind of pressure or like anxiety that attaches to the crew? Well, it's not even, yeah, there is definitely anxiety. And, um, and I think that's one of the things that I'm, I was very fortunate to be able to do was be able to pull that anxiety to myself. And yet, when I presented to the guys, because I, I rely a lot on the data that is brought to me from the engineers and knowing, and the, the engineers, they've already been told the numbers that they have to, they have to hit for air temperature, humidity, and ice surface. And I tell the same numbers to the operators, but the operators have to know how much water to put down, how fast to drive, how much snow to take off. So everything goes together. Right. And they all have that understanding of how it goes together. And that's a big part of when you're doing a major event. It's, it's, I don't hold it to myself. It's to, I talk to every driver as they are about to leave the Zamboni area. Okay. You know, to, okay, pay attention to this, pay attention to that, just so that they know that I'm focused, they're focused. And when it comes down to a skate rut or a divot, yeah, it concerns you, but, the, and that goes to, I watch a totally different game than what you watch because that's what I'm watching. I'm watching skates. I'm watching pucks. I'm watching how, when a guy goes in and he loses an edge, the first thing that's in my head is why did he lose that edge? You know, did he step on somebody's skate two minutes ago or did the ice give out from underneath him? Because, you know, it just, it was too brittle. Those are the things that go through your head. Interesting. So, before we depart Northlands, um, what was your what was your favorite part of the day? Was it coming in to work before everybody else got there, and you <laughs> you had the whole building to yourself, or was it after a full day, an event, and leaving the rink, last one out to say today was a good day? Always first, always first. Yeah. You're coming in for a fresh start on a brand new day. And um, the, the one that really stands out for me is if you wa- ever watch the video Boys on the Bus and it shows sunrise and it shows the steam off the refineries and the sun is rising. Yeah. That to me was a very emotional day because we knew right then we knew we were winning the cup that day. Okay. It was just it was that type of a day hit the numbers, everybody hit their spot. And that's the thing is you go, you walk through the door positive and everybody hit your mark today. You do today, you're better than you were yesterday. And we were awesome yesterday. So today we got to be better, you know, and it's just one of those things you come in and you just, you just, it just feels right. And so whether you're working in a junior rank, a pro rank, a local community rank, um, is it, is it similar feeling if you're all into your mission that you're, um, playing a major role in mm. operating the stage for the yeah. little kids, for the kids, whoever they are playing? Well, and that's the thing is that I, if you remember our lockout way back and I, I ended up being going into Saskatchewan to a rink and, uh, because of a, uh, an assistant coach that. I knew for a long time and I went to the rink with him at six 30 in the morning. And literally I walked through the loading dock area and I stopped halfway 
and the lights weren't even on in the building. And I just looked at him and I went, you cannot be serious. You do not skate on that. He says, you can see that? I says, I can see that from 100 feet away. You're not, you're not skating on that today. I says, go get me an edger. Go get me a key for the Zamboni light or get me somebody to drive the Zamboni right now. Give me an hour. I'll get this thing back. He says, what, really? I said, serious. And, and what, then, did you, big, what did you see that, that get, what would someone, what would someone they, like you see? I, they had, obviously they had a men's beer league the night before and somebody went out there and was trying to get done for the end of the night. And, right. and he drove really, really fast and they laid down a little water and there were skate cuts like everywhere. Right. And now you're going to put your junior team back on, onto that for practice in the morning. I went, no. I, and that go back to where you were, what you're, what you were asking right there is the phrase is, I don't care if the guy is making $9 million or the child is nine years old, they get the same thing. Right. Period. Yeah. Same work. So it's like just taking pride in what you do and having huge, great standards to be proud of, of, of your work. Well, and it doesn't matter. And that's the thing is because we have minor hockey teams practicing first thing in the morning. We have figure skaters skating first thing in the morning. You don't know who the next champion is going to be. Yeah. They might as well come out of your rink as anybody else's. Right. Right. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> you Once know? you're there. Exactly. You're there. Yeah. Let's, let's get it right. right. Let's have the, make sure the kids. And that's the thing is if you take a look and you've been around the rinks enough, especially when you go to outdoors, you see our guys step on the ice for the first time for an outdoor game. And it, you might as well put the smile and the eye sparkling of a nine-year-old. Right. You might as well. Yeah. Cause that's what the joy is. Yeah. Yeah. And it should never leave. So nope. in part, you know, the first thing a player touches is the ice. Mm -hmm. and if the ice ain't right. Then they know. They know, they know within doing one lap of that ring. Right. Yeah. And then so, that, it's, it's their comfort level. It's how we, and it, and the thing is, I just came out of a rink a little while ago. And that was the thing that we discussed with the trainers. I went, you know, you want the guys in the morning, Oh, this is what we have. Okay. I'm comfortable with this. I'm going to have a good day. Instead of walking out there like, what is this? What just happened here? And now, you know, you want their work to be enjoyable. For sure. So talk to the grade 12 um, student in, um, in Minnesota, in Massachusetts, in um, uh, Alberta, Toronto, who wants, who's interested in ice or, you know, getting involved in the local rink. Um, you know, how do you, let's say, hey, Dan, how do I go make ice? How do I get involved? Are there courses to take? Are there people out there I can talk to? Um, what's out there for them? Well, there, as a matter of fact, I'm glad you asked because, you know, as, as you know, as from 97 till now is, but we have, like, we even within the league, when I was at Northlands Park, I knew the guy's phone number from Calgary Flames. That's it. I didn't know anybody else. Right. Our NHL guys now have a network of 130 guys to call. But within that, the, within the, in Ontario, there's uh, the Ontario Recreation Facility Operators Facility Association. 
they have a great association. They have great workshops as well as the same as they, they have in the U.S. They have the United States Ice Rink Association. Okay. And they offer classes and they do the ice technician classes. They do management classes. And one of the things about if you take a look in the recreation industry right now, and I thought it was huge when I was coming through, you know, how many jobs were available within the recreation field. So it's so diverse now. And, and the thing is that you take a look at the complexes that are out there now, they're the twin pads, the quads, the attached to swimming pools, all of that. There's so, there's so much mechanical stuff that people can do. There's IT stuff that people get to do all. I mean, it is, there's so there's programming. There's so much out there that people can dabble their fingers in and you don't have to be great at a, at a single sport. You just have to have a desire for recreation. Your community needs recreation. Your family needs recreation. Everybody needs it. And, and that mindset of getting involved, if you're not an athlete, um, to help the athletes compete brings your own competition um, to the table, if you like competition, mm-hmm. by providing, you know, whether it's the IT, whether it's the air quality, whether it's the ice, um, so that those athletes can perform like you talked about. Um, lots, of, lots of interesting things. So, um, so there well, are... And that's a big thing, Ian, is that if you take a look into, on the Canadian side, where there's a, the Saskatoon's, Regina's, Medicine Hats, you know, and in the U.S., you, you, you know, you go into Detroit, you come over into the Minnesota area. There's a, there are so many young people being drafted into the National Hockey League out of those organizations. And those young players remember where they came from. Yep. They really, really do. You know, if you, you know, I, you know, throw out the, uh, a Duncan Keith uh, or a Carey Price and those guys, they all remember where they where they came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and guess what? Guess who took care of their rings? Just, yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's who they remember. Right. Growing up. So let's get a little technical if we can. I know it's, it's, it's not easy always to explain, but, um, so people go out and they can study, they can learn how to make ice. Um, you get to the rink, you get your water. Does it matter? Like I read recently an article about Vancouver where they've discovered that the water was too pure, too pure, mm-hmm. too pure in, in the building and it didn't make for good ice. So what, what talk to us a little bit about water and then temperature, humidity and things like that. Well, the, the, the biggest part is, and, it, and, it's, and that's the thing, is it even ties where I learned a lot about the water was in Bonneville dealing with the swimming pool when the swimming pool was being built. I didn't know anything about water. I was terrible at chemistry in high school. I didn't want to do chemistry at all. But as soon as you get into a swimming pool and now into a hockey rink, you need to know your chemistry. It's, right. However, it's basic. As, I don't want to scare anybody away, but it, it is just basic. And what we deal with is, the total dissolved solids within your, within your um, water system. But what has happened in the last 25 years is so many municipalities have put so much money into purifying water, even for your households, that before people go out and 
go buy a big system and it's worth you know a hundred thousand dollars to purify water you need to check to see what your own facility what your own municipality has already spent on 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 purifying water but there are places where the water is relatively what we would call bad and so you need to put in a reverse osmosis system and when you scrub down a reverse osmosis system it will bring your total dissolved solids like down to 10 and 15. Well, our number needs to be 120, 125. So, and that's one of the things, if you take a look, and that's one of the things we really found out in 2010 when we did the Olympics in Vancouver. And as a matter of fact, it was a couple of years before that, as we were dealing with getting prepared, that we need to be, our total dissolved solids needs to be higher. Because now our water was 20. Clean? Are you saying that it shouldn't be as clean and pure or? And no, a pure. And that's one of the things. If you're going to run a pure system, your ice temperature has to be warmer. I see. So, and that's, that's, that's fine for some of the sports, but not for our sport. Our sport, the best, and that's the same as speed skating. The best glide that we find, the best temperature for glide that we find is 22 degrees Fahrenheit. In speed skating. I, don't, ask, don't ask me to do that quick calculation Celsius because I don't know. Right. That's about a minus seven, I guess. Okay. okay. Right. So um, that's what, th and when you go below that, you can get yourself down to 20 degrees Fahrenheit. You get below that. Now we're going to start having brittle chippy ice and you get yourself above the 24 and a half, 25 mark. Now, when you have the snow accumulation, it gets sluggish. And if you remember the reports that we used to do, that's what the guys would report. It is soft and is slow and sluggish. Well, you start looking at the report. As soon as the guy makes that comment, you look at their reports and went, well, yeah, they were 25 and a half, 26 degrees. Mm -hmm. Well, figure skaters like it that at 27, 26 and a half, 27 degrees, so they can keep their edges better. I see. You know, but, you know, when you're dealing with a hockey player that wants, needs to speed and you need the glide of the puck. No, you need to be down into low twenties. Right. So, so and, and that's where that's where the chemistry of the water really comes in because the the little bit higher the, the total dissolved solids within the water, the colder that I can bring it without it being too brittle. So we have the water and all the different factors there. Um, you have a system in the NHL now that I don't know from your office at from your office you can log on can you see tonight um you know the temperature in nashville and all these different things or you speak to the building manager who we, can give you the information yeah we speak to the building manager and what we re, what we do is that we have uh, she said the facility um, a data sheet and they they record it during the day every two hours and okay. they they send it to us and then they recorded it for every when the doors open to the building in every period. Okay. And what what we're what we're we are recording is the outside air temperature, outside relative humidity, and whether it's you know whether it's dry, rainy, whatever, snow, whatever it is, and then the inside temperature, humidity, and the airspeed of the fans that are that you're moving the air around the building in. That is one part, but then the other part on the refrigeration side is the brine or glycol that's in the floor 
the supply temperature of it, the return temperature of it, the slab temperature, which is your concrete, yep. and the surface temperature that the guys skate on. Right. Because all those re, all those numbers together yep. have to stay in the same parameter. So if you're going at 10 degrees on your glycol and your surface is at 18 and you go to 22, everything should go up with it or it should come down with it. Everything relates to each, each one together. So, you know, it's interesting as you sit and listen to what you're saying, it, it really truly highlights that hockey, in my opinion, is the greatest game in the world. And it's really played from all the professional sports, um, maybe saving except for curling and figure skating and bobsled um, and others that are on ice on the most complicated stage, um, mm -hmm. which then makes it all the more remarkable that when the ice is right, then the game is, you know, it's all part of the package of arguing it's, um, and guys are skating on steel blades, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's, <laughs> well, it's and the thing is you get, you get the ice sheet that is exactly where it needs to be. Yeah. And I mean, you have the, the, the puck is sliding so well, you know, and that's one of the things, and that goes within when you hear some of the commentators say the puck is bouncing, so the ice is deteriorating. First thing, and you and I have discussed it many times, the first thing that I take a look at is, well, was the puck frozen? And uh -huh. as soon as you say that, people look at you kind of, what, what are you talking about? Well, guess what? It's vulcanized rubber. If it's not frozen, it's going to bounce like a rubber ball. So, you know, so before you start going blaming the ice for bad conditions or whatever, let's, you know, and right. it's the same as when you and I were, you know, were together in 97, everybody had wooden sticks. Yeah. Then the aluminum stick came in. Right. And now we, now we have these, you know, all these other ones. So everything, all that stuff has changed and we, we want to make sure that we keep up with that. And so let's leave ice and, you know, um, let's touch quickly upon, and it's a whole, probably could be another whole podcast um, the air in the buildings, um, yeah. you know, what impact, so let's cut to the chase for timing perspective. Um, so, you know, Madison square garden in New York is famous for having the circus in it. Mm -hmm. Um, you can roll into any city in North America and they've just had a monster truck pool, mm -hmm. you know, give the listeners a little bit of flavor for, what impact dirt in the air would have on an ice surface? How do you get that dirt out of the air? Um, can you turn around a building knowing that the circus was just there? Um, how do pollutants play a role in all this too? Sort of in a thumbnail sketch, not getting too technical. Well, and that's the thing is in, in the last 25 years, and that's, there has been such great progress on the coverings that go over top of the rink. Yeah. how people remove their their dirt and the, the air filtration that we use. Even now, because of COVID, you know, the air exchange within a building, we've it's had to multiply. Plus, we've had to increase the, uh, the effectiveness of the filters themselves. So when you, when you have a, had a monster truck or a, a motocross, the overnight while they're taking, when they, all the dirt has gone and now you're just, you're supposed to be going back onto a nice surface, you have people on the mechanical side up in your, in your units 
changing out all the filters. Uh, so every filter has brand new right. filters. So when you come in for the hockey game, you now have fresh air coming through. You don't have air coming through a dirty filter because of the monster truck. So those types of things happen at two, three, four o'clock in the morning. And we have to be prepared for the game that night. So those are the types of things that really, um, like you say, is, is within the educational side. Those opportunities are all out there. So if you're an engineer, if you're a sci into science and you're into pollution, air, engineering, computers, IT, um, and, and just about anything, anything, there's always a way back into a rink. Yeah, there always is. And, and, that's, and the thing is that, you know, you even take a, take a look at people that maybe they, in, 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 school, in high school or in college, played volleyball. They played whatever athletics. You take a look at how many, take a look at a hockey game and see how many people are standing on the bench behind the medical there you have medical you have trainers your equipment guys you there are so many people in there now handling everybody's everybody's stuff and all those guys went to a school somewhere yeah they went somewhere right so they came up through a, the ranks if you have a love for sport and you want to combine that sort of like you did and i did mm -hmm. um into working in a in a sport whether it's amateur sport or professional sport there's lots of opportunities um, and ways in that hopefully, you know, a podcast like this would, mm -hmm. would pique a listener's interest in something so that they can go explore it. Um, well, so, that's, and that's a big part is when you take a look like if on the U S side, if you, if you do the United States rink association, you get up on their website. If you do the Ontario recreation association, get up on it. There are, especially, and it's more uh, in the, on the Canadian side for the Ontario one, it, they do have their swimming pools, they do have the parks, they have the baseball fields, they, not as well as their rinks. Right. So the Ontario one is a lot more diverse than what the U.S. Rink Association does. Right. So take the listener in, if you can and if you will, to... You know, you've been involved in almost every out game, outdoor game, if not all of them. Um, you've been involved in Olympics. You've been involved in uh, neutral site games overseas. Give us a flavor of a time where you kind of got to the got got in, into the locale, started to work it, and said to yourself, "We may not be able to pull this off." Wow, what what like? And you're like, is this going to happen? Is this going to, there's got to have been some sort of um, reader's digest of, of, of uh, event where you were like, I'm not sure. Well, well, let's start in 97. Right. Let's start September of 97 or was it, I might've been October. I forget what. And um, Brian Burke had just hired me and I ended up being in Japan and at the Yogi Arena. Oh, really? And it, Yogi, Yogi Arena was built for the 64 Olympics, I believe it was, in Tokyo. So it's a swimming pool. And okay. we're building a rink over top of the swimming pool with a mat system. And a mat system, I've, I've never worked, especially at NHL Wait, level. They were, are they were freezing the, the pool or what were they doing? Well, no, the, the pool was empty and then they put scaffolding and they put oh, okay. boards and everything over top of it. 
and then they put what they call a mat system. Fill the pool in with with scaffolding. Everything was scaffold, so it was empty. Right, it was empty. Right, but so when you walked in, you walked basically right over top of the swimming pool. All you did was walk on a wooden floor. Okay, and but the mat system that they had, literally, the tubes were the size of my little finger. And immediately you look at it and say, for me to put a Zamboni on top of this, I need at least three inches of ice. And I cannot, I said, I've never worked with this system. Don't know anything about it. But I'm telling you right now, my physics just kind of went, it's not going to work. And we finally, yeah, and we got, we were into a few heated uh, moments. I was fortunate to be having a good translator. Uh, <laughs> as a matter of fact, you'll know the guy, Ted McAneely. Okay, I know the name, yeah. And Okay. Yeah. And um, so, you know, we were going through everything, and it was, I would remember being, staying, it's one of those things where you, you, you're so committed into this thing. I phoned back to New York at 4.30 in the morning, which is 12.30, Brian Burke was supposed to be coming out of a meeting. I finally got a hold of him I, and I said, Brian, I said, we can't do this. Don't put the guys on the plane. It's, it can't happen. Right. And he, he had some choice words for me and he just said, oh, we're coming. Know. We're coming. You make it happen. Right. And I went, pulled it off. Oh, okay. Here we go. Right. I, it was, it, it, if you go take a look, I mean, we put water down and then we shaved it off right away because it wouldn't freeze. Right. Literally the third period was basically played in water. You can see Mark Messier trying to handle a puck in water. And what about going from there? What about the time? I think it was 2011 in Calgary when it was. <laughs> well, I got a picture right here because I got a picture of my son with a hose. It was, we did the, the game. It was so cold when we started we put in the floor it was i think it was plus three or plus four and every day we drove past the cbc station and every day it dropped like five degrees five degrees lower and lower and lower and there we are and it was so brittle that it was literally breaking in chunks and i remember going we well we did the alumni game and my son and I talked about it the other day, as a matter of fact, and, and how, and he was, there was no pressure even on him. It was on me and he was sick on how, how this thing was. And that was the, like, they finished at four 30 and we had till the next day to get this thing back to where it needed to, to playable for NHL hockey. Right. And the next morning I'm at the trailer at right around five, and all of a sudden, I get a hammering on the side of the trailer at 5.30. 5.30 in the morning. 5.30 in the morning. It's Coley Campbell. Yeah. And he's, he says, you know, and obviously I was, he could tell that I was distraught about something. He says, like, what's going on? He said, I said, I have no idea how we're going to do this. I says, I have no clue what we're going to do this. And he told me a story, and it's a personal story. And I just looked at him. I went, Okay. We're going old school. Right. He said, you just do whatever you need to do. I went, right. okay. And I'll guarantee you there are people that were at that game that don't even didn't even realize that we never had a Zamboni on the ring. Yeah. 
good for you. Yeah. For you and, and, and you pulled it off and everything mm -hmm. fine. Yeah. yeah. Where there's a will, there's a way. And the players never said anything. We added two two minutes to an intermission. We never they not one player commented on it at all. So on days like that, what fuels you? Like like um, you know, it, it, is it just that you're on a mission to get it done and get it done right, safe, and well, you know, the that last word is it is always safe. Right. It's always safe. Yeah. Because. You and I have dealt with it enough because there's been a couple of other outdoor games, not NHL outdoor games that we have dealt with. And people have not appreciated the decision that was made because I said, I am making that decision for those kids, not for you, not for your hockey club, but for those kids. Right. Those kids have to stay safe. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's quite a, if you think about, you know, your journey and um, what you've committed to really the first goals and objectives out of Bonneville have carried the day through yeah. your, your, the grinding and putting the time in of figuring things out. Um, um, oh, you, I think you had told me there was a neat story that you had a connection um, with Glenn Sather. Tell us. <laughs> how did that well, you Was got a minute for that guys, one? Weren't you guys? Yeah, we have time for one last good story okay. that I, I probably, you know, helped carry you through until today, right? So, right. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And that's the thing is that when I ended up in Northland Spark, the very first thing that people want to know is who I was related to because you don't get a job at Northland Spark at a managerial supervisory level unless you're related to somebody. But the biggest thing was is that being from Jasper, you know, and knowing that Glenn Sather was from Banff, you know, it, it's not that you ever had a, a competitive spirit that way, but you always, Jasper was my hometown, Banff is his, you know, and it, and one of the biggest things for me was with the Oilers that, you know, he always excelled everybody to be better every single day. And, you know, and it just, it just exude from him. And, and that was one of the biggest things, you know, so when it came time to, I knew that I was, you know, the, my run is at the, I think I thought I had reached the pinnacle at that point of being, my crew was so good that I didn't even have to be there for games anymore because they knew I was watching. They knew everybody would had the same um, philosophy on excellence. And one of, and I didn't find out until a few years ago that, um, that Glenn was a major push to Gary Bettman to get me to go to the league because he said, you need him to get the league at the same level that right. we're at at this building. Yeah. yeah. So slots, 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 not only were you fr from one from BAM, one from Jasper, but slots respected your work ethic um, and, and helped, um, um, give the give your your spirit around to uh all the rest of the nhl teams that you know and that was i think that was a big part for me was that you i always knew it but i but he would never he, he when we would talk he would never bring anything up i would never bring anything up but i always knew it was until i we did a 50th anniversary for the rink in jasper where it finally came came to light that that yes he was 
he had a big push in that. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. That's another legacy to some degree that Glenn Sather's left on the game is, uh, mm -hmm. you know, identifying people like yourselves and then helping promote them to get um, their talents out to help the rest of the league, which is a great yeah. thing. Yeah. A couple quick questions to end the podcast. Um, what, what, have you ever in a hotel or at a check-in been confused with um, Dan Daniel Craig 007 James Bond? There is uh, some I, I I've had people look at me and kind of go, James Bond? You don't look like James Bond. Yeah, well <laughs> I went, nope, nope, <laughs> I'm good. Maybe you're the 007 of the NHL. <laughs> what 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 I, I'm curious on this. What what's the nickname? Is it a traditional NHL nickname, Crager? What do they call you around the league? Well, the 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 name that has really stuck there's quite a few officials that do the Crager, but there's the biggest one is Cubes. Ah, uh, Cubes. Cubes. I have Cubes corner downstairs with a you know all of my all of my stuff downstairs with my big TV. Oh yeah, that's Cube. That's Cubes corner. Your den is Cubes corner. Yeah, I yeah. like it. My wife built that for me. She, I went away one time, and all of a sudden, I come back, and there's Cubes Corner. Well, Cubes, uh, <laughs> it's been great learning about ice, about um, what you do. Um, the league's lucky to have a guy like you um, overseeing their programs to make sure that the players are performing on the greatest stage um, that they possibly can. I hope that the 31, soon to be 32 teams in the NHL are – learning from you and listening to you um, so that you can help um, make uh, the product as great as it can be. And um, really appreciate you taking the time today to um, talk to us and uh, for the audience to hear you. So thank you very much. I appreciate the time. And um, by the way, you know, you never know when somebody's going to walk into your building. So we're always looking for the next new talent out there. Good to hear. All right. Thank you very much.